Gather round Alberta growers for common sense, educational, get your hands dirty, not as hard as you think to make it beautiful tips with Rob and Kevin from Salisbury Greenhouse and Landscaping. Pour a coffee, grab the seeds, and get ready to grow. Hello, eager gardeners, and welcome to July. I'm Rob Sproul from Salisbury Greenhouse. And I'm Kevin DePore from Salisbury Landscaping. And it is a beautiful July out there, Kevin. It is phenomenal, phenomenal weather. We had an crazy, crazy June filled with rain and uh, unbelievable growth on the gardens. And with the growth becomes work. Work, yes. work, work. That I tell you, this but summer it's enjoyable, so far, fun work. Oh, yeah, all work is wonderful. Yeah. Um, well, I mean... You love working in the garden. Your garden's phenomenal. The and end of May and June, of course, until then, the past six or eight months until then, was a drought. I was terrified coming into the spring that we would have a crippling drought year, that we'd have plagues of grasshoppers and wasps and ants and everything else. Absolutely. And what a change. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. Totally. I, I was, I was uh, getting all kinds of sheets ready to deal with ant problems mm-hmm. and how to get rid of wasps. And then long explanations to my um, uh, client about installs on watering and the importance of watering. And yeah, we never did anything about never that. Never did anything about that. That's a good thing. That's a, drought breaking is a good thing. So, and with all the growth, of course, uh, it's gorgeous out there. It's lush. It's beautiful. And plants are growing like crazy. I'll tell you, my lawn, I don't do much of my lawn. I know you, you do a lot with your lawn. I don't do anything with my lawn. And it is a golf green right now. Mm. No, the, there's a, a, some amazing growth rates in the grass. Um, and that uh, one, um, I did want to talk to you a little bit about fungus, mm-hmm. um, uh, fungal problems. But um, some things I'm noticing now, um, especially in shady areas, is powdery mildew yes. growing on. Uh, just because the grass, uh, well, if you're in my case, I like to, I like to fertilize. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have slow release fertilizers and then I have like instant fast green fertilizers. <laughs> and so, and then when you add that with all of the rain, then you get this amazing lush, tasty growth. And so that appears on your plant material, but on grass, you get um, powdery mildew. Which looks like, you know, the baker down the street just sprinkled icing sugar all over your lawn. Yeah. Yeah. Right, basically, and it's it's on the lawn, folks. It's species specific. It's not going to spread to your other plants from your lawn, and it's not going to spread from your shrubs to your lawn. So it's species species specific both ways, and it's just it's wet. It's what happens older lawns, especially or lo- yards that are very crowded. Yours is quite crowded in yes. spots, yeah. right? Which is gorgeous, but it cuts down the air circulation. And creates that sort of magical sense of stillness, mm-hmm. right? That the English poets talked about. But it also, yeah, it you know, you, you create a shady bower, you're going to get powdery mildew. Yes. Sorry, Keats. Yes. Right? Um, so there's that. There's also, I mean, of course, you've been fertilizing this year. Mm-hmm. And I can't imagine the kind of growth you're getting from, from oh. fertilizing. Oh, well, no, it, it's just so cool. Like, um the uh, we talked la- last uh, uh, last session uh, we talked about staking and the importance mm-hmm. of staking and um, and it keeps your plants upright and looking nice and tidy and uh, my plants have grown so incredibly well that even with the stakes they're actually starting to lean over I had to go out and go buy rebar to keep my grass up and especially my peonies my you, peonies got so heavy you rebarred your peonies I had to rebar them. <laughs> honest to god <laughs> and then even there the whole column started to dip a little bit i but built yeah. a parking garage yeah. around my peony bush 
Just yeah. so I could keep it up. Yeah, it looks okay. wonderful. Well, I, <laughs> I know myself, like, I, I never fertilize my yard. Um, and I have an older yard. The grass, I don't water the grass or fertilize the grass. If it turns brown, I know it'll turn green again. Hmm. Um, and I keep it longer. I always keep my grass about three inches. And this year, that long grass is just choking out all the weeds. It's a beautiful thing. Awesome. Yep. The um, So, but with the growth comes pruning. Yes. And pruning is what, you know, that has to happen in the summer. So I did want to talk about um, the difference between the two kinds of pruning. Mm -hmm. If um, in the springtime, when we, our first session, I think we talked about was uh, spring pruning. And why that's really important is it causes an increase in growth. So if you're doing your March and April pruning, you will, um, uh, what happens is in the fall, all the food energy that's in the plant material goes down deep into the root structure. And then when you do spring pruning, you remove some of the top. So all the same amount of food comes back up into the plant, expecting to find the original plant, and it doesn't. So it causes increased growth. Uh -huh. Now, if you do summer pruning, so your plants have already reached the height that you want. Mm -hmm. If you did spring pruning, then you would have more work to do. Okay. So in the summertime, uh, if you go through and you do your hedging in July, um, then what you actually do is you reduce the amount of leaves. So you reduce the amount of food that's produced. And then um, what that does is it it quiets your plant. It, it subdues okay. them. Gets so them that, into the, the, the dog days of summer. Yeah. So you, you actually reduce the amount of growth. I see. And so um, that's why uh, all of the, the hedging um, is, is done generally in July. So when, when in July? Is there a marker? Oh, yes, yes, absolutely. Um, mock orange okay. um, is um, it's one of those great big six by six um, plants you'll see in a lot of uh, boulevards. A lot of people plant uh, mock oranges. Our well. yard is full of them. I love yeah, them. Yeah. So they're just big, big round white shrubs. Yeah, folks, you probably saw them about two weeks ago in their glory. Oh, they were insane. Yeah. They have this unbelievable scent. The, like just one, one uh, mock orange will fill your whole yard with just this heavy, beautiful, sweet smell. And they call them mock oranges because, of course, the smell, um, you know, citrus have a wonderful smell. And they're white, kind of single flowers with about four petals. And the, the flowers somewhat resemble citrus flowers. Hmm. Um, of course, you know, they're not. But uh, so after the mock oranges are done blooming, yeah. then it's time to prune. Then, then you can do all of your, your pruning. There's a couple of plants that you can't prune, so or um, uh, shrubs that yep. you shouldn't prune, and those are all of your spring flowering shrubs. So things that flower uh, like your lilacs, um, double flowering plum, nankings, any of your white flowering spireas, if you went about and hedged them in July, you're actually going to be cutting off all of your future blooms for next year. So when do you when do you prune those plants? Th those ones should be done two weeks after they finish flowering. So right after they yeah. before they set bud again. Yeah, generally the the cutoff is June twenty first. Okay. So that's that's your extreme last date. But generally, even so, if you did uh, say did your nankings or double flowering plums, you you've cut off all the flowers for next year. I have these giant homestead lilacs in my place, and these things oh, these I, big French ones, enormous. Oh. And they're actually so big, they form a wall about 15 feet high. Mm -hmm. And it's about 60 or 70 feet wide, cutting our yard in half. Oh. 
Holy hell. And we have a tunnel through the middle of it. And there's actually two rows of it. So in between, That's cool. there's a path where my little boy has a fort. Uh-huh. Because he, he goes down the path. And at the end of it, he has a table and chairs and some of his toys yeah. in there. He's three, right? So, um, But uh, those, I prune them anytime. Yeah. I, you know, I'm not... <laughs> I am not that concerned about when to prune them. But yeah, if mm-hmm. you are concerned about next year's flowers, especially on things like hydrangea too. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. hydrangea are going to bloom on second year wood. Yeah. So the wood growing right now on your hydrangea is not going to bloom until next summer. Exactly. And you, so you got to be careful when you prune it, not to prune off that wood, just like raspberries produce on second year canes, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, I have this horrible, horrible case with one of my clients last year. Um, she thought the hydrangea, Drangias were perennials. Oh. And we had gotten the, these beautiful, oh, they were so beautiful. They were like three feet tall, whacked right to the ground. They were just little nubs. Oh, that hurts me. <laughs> so, so they're growing. The, the great thing, though, is that she did it at the very end of the season. Good. Um, so she got this unbelievable growth. So Excellent. the hydrangeas are just shooting. They're all the way, all the way back up yeah. to the same height. But... They're, they are growing so fast. Again, it's that same thing. Mm-hmm. They expected to be a plant there that wasn't there. Um, that they're super thin, soft growth. And uh, now it's all falling over. Of course it is. Yeah. You, so. you, you send her some rebar. <laughs> <laughs> now I've used all mine. <laughs> all right. So pruning. But one thing you don't prune, elm trees. And this is very serious, folks. Um, Dutch elm disease, I'm going to sound like an after-school special here, but Dutch elm disease is one of, as far as tree diseases go, that's one of the worst. Mm. It's wiped out about 80% of the world's elms, and, you know, places like England, uh, eastern United States have just been, Toronto, absolutely decimated. Toronto, you drive through streets, you won't see any elms. And Edmonton has these beautiful, beautiful elm-lined boulevards, and you know those gorgeous American elms with that V shape I love that. and those big branching leaves, and they are absolutely striking. It creates those beautiful cathedrals inside the inner absolutely. city. Absolutely, um, and and you don't really realize, you know, you don't notice them, and you don't realize them until they're gone and replaced yeah. with, you know, ash or some other kind of tree that doesn't look nearly as nice. Dutch elm disease would wipe all that out. And there's there would be very little we could do about it. Oh, within a couple of years. Yeah. It's super fast. It is awful. And yeah. so do not prune your elm. If you prune your elm while the elm is actively growing in spring and summer, you're going to create an open wound and the the little beetles and whatever it is can get, in the, get into that mm. wound. They can get established. So do not prune your elm. You will get fined and I will report you. Um... Don't prune until Halloween. Very serious stuff, folks. That reminds me, though, there's a couple of trees. We had also talked about this earlier. Two trees that you're not supposed to prune during the the spring is your maple and your birch. And um, June and July is when you're supposed to prune those guys. Um, And the main reason for not pruning those ones is they have a super sweet sap. A super delicious sap. Yes, that aphids love yes so as you cut them you've got this lovely maple sap just dripping from the trees and then so the aphids fly in from all over yonder and come in and then they start eating that that sap and then they poop all over the place and so there's this massive amount of poop raining down on the ground and so 
black algae loves that. And then so you get black algae living. Uh, it starts growing along on the stem. This is and just going right off the rails. On the sidewalk. <laughs> it's very graphic. <laughs> Thank you, Kevin. Thanks for that. Um, I think I just said The I was in the Niagara region in April, at the end of April this year, and I went to the old sugar with the, oh, the sugar place oh, with the I sugar would so love to see that they had the old thing with the with the with the rides the the period costumes oh. and they took you around watch you, you see the process the tapping process yeah. you know absolutely wonderful so the stuff coming out of the maple trees that's Canada and it is good stuff oh it's incredibly yeah. like when you cut I made a mistake um when I first started landscaping and gardening is um, I cut a maple in the springtime yeah. and I just, it was just a small about finger thick and I just made one slice and I realized, Oh, darn, this is a maple. Don't cut this. I went downstairs, walked back upstairs and it was already dripping. It was dripping like, wow. like from a, a faucet. It's incredibly fast. That is something. So, yeah. So t- moving from maples now, a lot of people have been asking about tomatoes. Oh, and me too. Come, and you too. You, yes. First thing you said we came in, came in came in today was talking about your tomatoes. My tomatoes aren't ripening. I said neither are mine. I have big, beautiful tomatoes, all staked, all trained, all ready to go, mm-hmm. full of fruit, the bounteous fruit on them, and they are green as well green tomatoes. Yes, and I, I'm having serious problems because mine are four feet tall already. Yes. And and that, I like I, I want I want something, but they're just they're they're just green things. And in case you're wondering if that's completely your fault, it's not. Oh, good. It's not at all. <laughs> um, that is not your fault. That's Mother Nature. They just they haven't had the sun uh-huh. and they haven't had the heat to ripen. Tomatoes are to make a tomato is a process. You got to inject so much moisture into that tomato mm-hmm. that at the very end, the ripening process, that's when the plant puts in all the good stuff. Oh. That's why the tomatoes you get at supermarket that are picked green and ripened with ethylene gas don't have a lot of nutrients mm-hmm. because all the good stuff, the lycopene, all the good vitamins, they all go in at the very end. At the very end. They're the last drops oh, from the okay. faucet before you pick that tomato. As soon as we get some sun and some heat, those tomatoes are going to go gangbusters. Don't worry about it. So when I uh, was in university, um, I used to work with the Veterans Center. And uh, so the veterans had all of this lore as to what you should be doing to to train them to to grow these guys and at that time i was like a university student so like i know i know the entire universe oh yeah and you're just so dramatic (laughs) and so i i never wrote any of that down and and so is there um are there special things to to do for like the tall the tall uh, tomatoes yes. versus the small little tumbler Absolutely. tomatoes? So types. the small little tumbler tomatoes, the tumbler patio types, those are called determinate tomatoes, and they're very well behaved. Hmm. They're the they're the well dressed child in the front of the class just taking notes and not saying anything out of turn, right? So they're going to get to a certain size and then stop, and they're not going to produce a whole lot. Okay. Oh. Um, they will produce like tumblers produce quite a bit, yeah. but not as much as the big indeterminates that just keep going. Oh, okay? okay. And determinate tomatoes tend to produce in flushes. So you get to notice your tumbler kind of produces flushes of tomatoes and then takes a break, then produces more flushes. Um, there you go. Cause that happened to me last year. Well, I thought I killed it. <laughs> <laughs> it just stopped. It, 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 I did actually, I got a flush and then there was nothing. Yep. So I, I okay. And it oh, came that's back. Good. good. <laughs> 
I'm glad I could help. The indeterminate tomatoes, they're the rowdy ones, and they just keep growing, and they're awesome. Okay. Because they produce a lot, they produce a lot more fruit. They're a lot harder to keep. Hmm. And they are also your heirlooms. They're your, your early girl, which is very popular. Most of your beefsteaks. You know, and most of your heirloom or really classic varieties are indeterminate. Your vining okay. tomatoes. So yeah. with your vining tomatoes, when you get a plant, you want to pick one or maybe two or three, depending on the size of the plant, main stalks. You don't want five stalks. You don't oh. want a whole bunch of different stalks. Because, you know, and from your stalk, you, you tie your stalk and make sure it's secure. And then you want your side branches from the stalk. It's just like pruning an apple tree. When you prune an apple tree... You prune out all those little itsy-bitsy branches that aren't so going to do anything, in right? in June when they were growing, should I have been pulling out those those little those little guys that come from the bottom then? Okay, yeah. So any, basically, look at the first look at the um, first place your your tomato blooms. Yeah. Your first cluster of blossoms. Yeah. And take out everything below that. Okay. Okay. Because below that, you're going to get these big leaves that are really yep. thick, and they're probably a bit yellowy, which means the plant is not giving them nutrients. Because okay. a tomato plant is very good at prioritizing where nutrients go. So take those guys out. They're just nutrient suckers. Right. You're also going to find suckers. And suckers are, you got the main branch of the tomato and the, or the main stem. The branches grow out at more or less a 90-degree angle, usually, you know, 75, 80. Yeah. Okay. You're going to get suckers that grow out at about a 45 in, in between that crook. Right. Okay. Basically, and cut those guys out. Now... If you haven't pruned your suckers and the tomatoes mature, a lot of times those suckers will be as big or as bigger than the branch itself. Oh, right. You still got to take it out. It's not oh, going to okay. do. It's anything. not going to produce. It's not okay. Produce. That's. I remember that's what the vets were saying is that you you had to get those those yes. those little guys. Yeah, uh, and and tie it, so tied up. You want you want your tomato plant to be as efficient as possible in doing what you want to do with us. Okay. Produce fruit. Produce fruit. Um, so oh, don't be afraid. To do. Don't be afraid to prune it. Okay. Get in there, and when when it's hot and the and the tomatoes growing quickly, you're gonna be have to be in there to cut off those suckers um, every few days because they're gonna grow like crazy. Yeah, but then the mosquitoes are gonna bite me. Then the mosquitoes are gonna bite you. <laughs> we should talk about mosquitoes. <laughs> I bought myself this big beautiful mosquito uh, suit, and so I, I look bizarre when I'm out. <laughs> Do you sit out there and kind of sip your wine? Oh, oh, get this. They now have mosquito gloves. They're, they're these sheer... Yeah. yeah they're, they're, they're really neat. I, I don't have those yet. <laughs> or you can, I, I know people who have a hat. They have a hat on when they go outside. And the thing about mosquitoes, standing water on it, first and foremost. Walk around your yard, look for standing water in the old wheelbarrow, sitting out by the shed... You know, we talked about this before. You talked about how you like to throw wine glasses all over the yard, and I lectured you on that. So, short of lecturing you again, just, you know, look around for a steady water and try to deal with it. Exactly. Basically. Mm-hmm. The tom- uh, mosquitoes, of course, worse in the in the evening. Apparently, they're better if you don't eat bananas. Have you heard this? No. I heard bananas. If w- I heard that they're attracted to people who eat bananas. Oh, oh no, 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 no! That that's uh, that's an absolute thing in landscaping. Thing? In landscaping, oh yeah, you're told that right away. Don't 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 eat bananas. So when you hire people, you're like, do you eat bananas? Is that part of the interview process? No, I mean, oh, 
<laughs> I used to do horrible things to my trainees. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> but, but after they all got eaten, it was like, oh, yeah, you're not supposed to have bananas. Everybody knows that. <laughs> oh, you show up and take bananas for <laughs> Lovely. Yes. Um, <laughs> good way to initiate them. There are other things. There are other things you can do for mosquitoes short of, you know, smoke bomb in your yard, um, which I don't recommend under any circumstances. There's other things. Did you know how much mosquitoes hate garlic? Yes. Yes. I do know that because I came across a thing called um, mosquito barrier. Yes. It's a it's a garlic spray, yeah. and it works unbelievably on aphids too. Oh, yeah. There you go. Oh, yeah. I was uh, spraying. I, I I love garden parties. And so a couple of hours before, um, I'll usually go through and then um, do a, a, a full garlic bomb uh -huh. of everything. And then I'll just spray all of the shrubs and everything. And I happened to spray uh, my uh, nine barks. And you could actually just watch the garlic sizzle those little aphids. Oh, that's awful. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. Oh, it was just great. You and know I, what I thought happened with the aphids? Is the aphids have, they, their life cycles are very short. They have to re reproduce all the time. Mm -hmm. You spray the garlic on Mr. Aphid. He goes home. Mrs. Aphid kicks him out of bed and onto the couch. No baby aphids. Okay. You see? Yeah. You get garlic yes. breath. <laughs> So, but, uh, yeah, mosquito barrier, Salisbury sells that, by the way, oh. and it's 99% garlic juice, but it doesn't yeah. smell as bad as you think it does. It's still strong. That's still that. Strong. That's why I yeah. would go a couple hours before a party so that the... the or a day or two. No, 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 no. no. It doesn't take that long yeah, for okay. the air to clear, clear okay. the smell. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, no, I love that. Stuff. People were coming in on the weekend who had one, one, uh, one guy came in who was going to have a wedding. In uh, next week at his acreage, oh. he brought he bought two liters of the stuff. Yeah, yeah. you know. Um, other things, there are sprays now that you can use that aren't DEET, which is nice. Get out. Uh, yep. There's other things you can do. Um, there's mosquito repelling plants, and they work within a very small small radius. Yeah, they have to be like right beside. You basically you. have to surround yourself with them and yeah. sit sit still. Yes. So. Um, but you know, if if you're drinking your wine in front of the fireplace outside you can yes. have like your little hot uh your little uh planters of citron yeah. and they don't like their they don't like the smoke too yeah or you can make sure your banana friend is with you so he draws all the mosquitoes true true yeah so <laughs> um other issues other problems oh actually something that um uh we've had a little bit of problems with um is uh apple maggot uh -huh. um so um <clears throat> some of our um uh landscaping people from a couple of years have been bringing in their apples and um you, you can they, you can see the, the 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 apples are a little bit deformed, yeah. and so I think apple maggot is a new disease. It's isn't fairly it? well. It's it's been around a while. Came over eighteen seventy ish into Pennsylvania. It's called railroad fly. Came oh. over in some lumber from uh, from Europe, and it's made its way across Canada. In BC, it ravages the orchards. Oh. Because what apple maggot does is it destroys your apple crop. And um, it's very difficult to get rid of once established. And even if you do get rid of it, it they can travel a long way in the spring. So if your neighbor, five or six or seven doors over, has it, mm -hmm. you have it. The problem now in Edmonton, it's estimated that about half of all apple trees are infected with apple maggot. And so it's actually conceivable that in only a couple of years, it'll be very, very hard to find clean apple trees in oh, okay. it's a 
It's actually a disaster, uh, the apple maggot. How to get rid of them? Um, you know, they used to say that pick up all your apples. Yeah. But the problem is by the time you get out there, the larvae have already typically crawled from the apple into the ground where they overwinter. Oh, okay. Okay. So, and I was talking so, to... Oh, okay. So, yeah. in the in the fall, like we've always said to all our clients is like, absolutely get out there. Make sure you pick up all of your leaves. Pick yes. Fruit, uh, uh, don't, don't leave anything. Um, just because you can... Sometimes uh, um, in landscaping, we'll bring a lot of plant material from um, uh, BC or from the, the US. And there's a potential of bringing yeah. in um, some leaves. Yeah. Uh, disease problems and so cleaning cleanliness is super important so with apples like is it every day thing do i have to pick up the apples well you know now i was talking to an entomologist with the city of edmonton a couple years ago and she said now they're figuring out that a lot of the larvae are dropping from the apple onto the ground before the apple falls oh so that's another issue okay so now i've started telling people to line underneath the drip line of their tree with shade cloth Oh, because you do the shade cloth, water can still permeate. The grass yeah. won't die, but um, you will catch. It's like a, it's like a giant, it's like a giant net, and you will catch the little buggers and all the apples. And at the end of the season, roll the shade cloth up, and off it goes. I do. The, I recommend that with my clients for spruce trees, spruce uh-huh. and pine. Yes, <clears throat> because it just rains down on your gravel and stuff. Yes, and so I just say, yeah, just lay lay out the remake cloth, and and then it. Um, uh, just throw it away. Yeah, it costs only like twelve cents a, a there you square go. foot or something. Like so that. that's the solution for apple maggots. Other, um, other than that, there's lures you can get. There's little pheromone apples you put up that um, you know the male apple maggots smell, and you know they get all their apple maggot brains get all firing away, and um, but it's covered with this nasty glue. Oh, and the um, other issue. Other issue facing uh, gardeners right now, and I'm start. I haven't heard of any incidents yet, but it's a serious. This is as serious as it gets. We're talking Irish potato famine. Serious mm-hmm. is blight. Oh, okay. Okay. And blight happens with your tomatoes and your potatoes when you get cool nights, very humid days, and lots of moisture. Mm-hmm. Okay, or humid nights as well. And basically, what happens is heavy rain falls in a big thunderstorm or what, what have you. Mm-hmm. Or if you're watering in the evening, this is why one of the reasons it's good to water in the morning. Mud splash, wet mud splashes up onto lower leaves. Right. Okay. And when it does that, the mud sits on the leaf and stays wet. And that's a recipe for fungus to set in. Okay. Blight sets in, and you ask me what blight looks like. Yeah. And I say it looks like a bunch of dead plants because that's what happens. It looks like. Um, so does it start out like like little dots on the leaves, or do the leaves? You know what? Just... I don't know how it starts, but it takes it takes it happens very quickly. The plant is dead, okay. not just dead mush. Wow! Um, it is horrible, and it spreads very quickly hmm. across pretty much all your slams. So uh, yeah, it's tomatoes, your eggplant, your your potatoes, um, and it will wipe out your crop. You know, very okay. very fast. Hmm. So. That's that's something. Ease up on the water now, folks. You're gonna find, like I know at home, my peas are going gangbusters. I've never seen peas like that before. Mm-hmm. But my beans, um, you know, my tomatoes, they're slower because they need the heat and they're not getting the heat. My salad greens are beautiful. If I, you know, I gotta keep them cool so they don't bloom. Um, but uh, you're pouting. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I, 
uh, I've been trying to grow. Um, well, uh, I grow uh, beet leaves and uh -huh. and uh, Swiss chard, and they're not growing. Oh. They're just. I have a sad vegetable garden this year. <laughs> You're breaking my heart. Also, carrots, carrots and beets yeah. are big and beautiful this year, but yeah. I honestly don't know how how good the tubers going to be because carrots, especially carrots, are a desert plant. You know that carrots originated in Iran. Get out! Yeah, there's a valley in Iran where they first started cultivating carrots around 10,000 years ago. And they need sandy, dry, well-drained soil. With ah. this much rain being watered every day, the carrots probably aren't going to grow that fat. Hmm. So get ready. I'm just saying, when you pull out those carrots, get ready for a bit of a disproportion between all the leafy greens. They look wonderful. Right. Wonderful rabbit food. Hmm. But and a little tiny, you know, thing at the bottom. Oh. So. <laughs> oh, you're making me even more sad now. <laughs> Heart, so but at least I have great tomatoes. You have great Well, actually, great, I, have, I have very leafy tomatoes. So today <laughs> I'm getting in there and, and pricking out all of those leaves. Hack attack. Oh, yeah. yeah. And folks, that wraps up another edition of the Eager Gardeners. I'm Rob Sproul from Salisbury Greenhouse. And I'm Kevin Nabar from Salisbury Lands. And get out there and enjoy your July. Thanks for being eager to get into that garden. Rob and Kevin are around every month on SalisburyGreenhouse.com or SalisburyLandscaping.ca. Till next time, keep your fingernails dirty and your thumbs green.